Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we speak to Nigeria's Samuel Chukweze, whose late goal for Villarreal saw six-time champions Bayern Munich knocked out of the UEFA Champions League. Chukweze tells us about his career, including winning the Europa League with Villarreal last season. I think it's an honour for the team and for everyone, and it was a great opportunity to be among them as well. That's coming later. Also, we look ahead to the upcoming Africa Cup of Nations qualifying draw and Stewart on the crisis at Manchester United. First, the quarterfinals of the CAF Champions League kick off this weekend with first leg matches. Egypt's record holders Al-Akhli take on Raja Casablanca of Morocco. Entente City of Algeria play Esperance of Tunisia. Algeria's CR Belouzadad take on Widad Casablanca of Morocco. And Petro Atletico of Angola take on South Africa's Sundowns. So two Moroccan teams, two Algerian teams in the last eight of the CAF Champions League. And two national team coaches in Africa have lost their jobs in the past few days. The Ivory Coast Football Federation has decided not to renew the contract of Patrice Bermel. The Frenchman failed to qualify the elephants for the World Cup playoffs. They also went out in the round of 16 at the Africa Cup of Nations earlier this year, losing to Egypt on penalties. And the Egypt Football Association has terminated the contract of Portuguese Carlos Queiroz by mutual consent, with local coach Ahab Galal taking over. For Queiroz, the Pharaohs lost two penalty shootouts to Senegal in the World Cup playoffs last month and in the final of the Africa Cup of Nations in February. It's a tough job being Egypt coach, and you'd have to feel sorry for Queiroz, uh, considering that penalty shootouts are such a lottery, Ida. Well, football can be cruel, Steve, and it's precisely situations like these, you know, that show just how much. As for the Portuguese, well, Queiroz was brought in specifically for those two tasks, you know, winning the Afghan and qualifying Egypt for the World Cup. And the fact is that he failed on both. Now, whether that was down to something as fleeting as penalties, you know, that could really have gone either of two ways is absolutely inconsequential, unfortunately, in this scenario. It's something that many might not even remember years from now, if you think about it. But those same people will definitely remember that Egypt lost and lost twice. Steve, barely eight months in the job for Queiroz, add the fact that those two losses came against the same side, Senegal, I think it adds to the whole situation, in my eyes at least, must be incredibly painful for the pharaohs. But looking ahead, and uh, Ehab Galal has since replaced Kieros. Now, the 54-year-old is the immediate former coach of Pyramids FC, who he's left in a pretty decent place, I do have to say. And interestingly enough, Galal took over Pyramids at around the same time that Kieros took over the Egypt national team. Galal Steve had an almost 70% win rate with the Pyramids and also left them in the quarterfinals of the Confederation Cup, which, you know, as I've said, is a pretty decent place to leave a team. 
Now, he's also a former national player and traditionally players have been said to respond well, you know, to someone who has been in their shoes and someone that they deem can relate to some of their situations. There's often been said a different level of respect that comes with that. We will see. Galal's primary target, of course, will be to qualify Egypt for the 2023 Nations Cup and then, of course, try to win the ultimate at the tournament. As for the Ivory Coast situation, quickly, Steve, well, Bumal's time was definitely up, but it is definitely a tricky situation in the country's football with the head coach now gone. The football currently run by a normalization committee and with federation elections up ahead. I mean, it's definitely interesting times. Yes, yeah, certainly is. And uh, no surprise to see Patrice Bermel not being retained uh, by the Ivory Coast Football Federation. Now, the draw for the group stage of qualifying for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations takes place next Tuesday with 48 teams to be drawn into 12 groups of four and the top two qualify for the finals in Ivory Coast next year. Now, the dates for the qualifiers have been moved after Tunisia threatened to boycott the qualifiers if they were not moved. The reason is they felt it would interfere with their World Cup preparations and it appears that Morocco felt the same. There were going to be four rounds of Nations Cup qualifiers in June and two in September, but CAF has now moved two rounds of matches from June to March of next year. Uh, now, this means that the tournament certainly will have to take place in June and July of next year. Remember that while CAF switched from January-February hosting to June and July in 2019, uh, for the 2021 edition, it was held this January and February because of the weather conditions in Cameroon, where June and July is in the rainy season. Now, it's also the rainy season in Ivory Coast in June and July, so this raises questions, and also CAF is yet to sign a hosting agreement with Ivory Coast. So this may well take us back to the usual pre-tournament speculation, and it's maybe surprising that the qualifying schedule was changed because of one or two countries, Ida. I'll say this, Steve. Few things surprise me any more about this tournament, and it's running in the continent. And frankly, the disorganization has seemingly been more under the current administration. Because you do have to ask yourself if these complaints came from other regions of the continent, say sub-Saharan Africa. Would CAF have taken heed or would they have taken this much heed? Because I do think that this is something that needs to be said and said candidly because There is definitely a level of double standards, at least, because, as you've said, it will be the rainy season in Ivory Coast at the time. And already we did know that there was no way that the Afghan was going to be played in January immediately after the World Cup in December, granted. But on the flip side, why will it be okay to play the Afghan during the rainy season in Côte d'Ivoire when it wasn't okay to do the same in Cameroon? You know, with that being the reason that CAF gave, at least, to move the tournament dates around. I mean, make it make sense, (laughs) you know. On one hand, for the dates to be moved around due to the complaints of two countries versus, you know, 22 is incredible. But on the other hand, one does have to look at the practicality between effects of COVID, 
the World Cup being at the end of the year, I mean, things have really been turned upside down. And these are extremely novel situations that everyone is dealing with. But, you know, it's about the optics of it as well. I mean, one edition, June, July, the other edition, January, February, the next edition after that, June, July. I mean, the continental body is, you know, showing somewhat to Africa and the rest of the world that this showpiece event is something that can be moved around, you know, to the convenience of select parties. I mean, you've said it there, Steve, the pre-tournament speculation that Africa has gotten used to with the Afghan and the unfortunate part is getting used to the dysfunction, you know, so much so that people think it's normal. You know, it's either a country isn't ready and is in fear of hosting rights being stripped or it's been the effects of COVID over the last two years or the tournaments, the tournament dates being moved around. And in this case, the hosting agreement hasn't even been signed a year to the event. I mean, there's always something, it seems. Uh, Yes, indeed. So the draw for the group stage of qualifying for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations takes place next Tuesday. And the following week is the draw for the Africa Women's Cup of Nations finals. That will be on Monday, the 25th of this month. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport to our interview with the player who must be the African football star of the week. That's Nigeria's Samuel Chukweze, whose late goal saw six-time champions Bayern Munich knocked out of the UEFA Champions League by Villarreal in their quarter-final tie. The Spanish club took it 2-1 on aggregate, with Chukweze scoring in the 88th minute for a 1-1 away draw. Now, Chukweza was part of Nigeria's squad that won the 2015 Under-17 FIFA World Cup. He also he won the Europa League with Villarreal last season. Now, this season has been affected by injury. He's only managed six goals and three assists. And Planet Sport Football Africa's Olawashina Okaleji spoke to Chukweze a few weeks ago about his career, family and faith and first asked about the Europa League success last season. I'm very, very happy to make a history with the, with the team. I think it's my first European trophy with the team. I think, I think we are the people that make glory to win the first trophy, European trophy. I think it's an honor for the team and for everyone. And it was a great opportunity to be among them also. As a young African footballer, you go to Europe, expectation is always high. The club wants demand more from you. But to win your first major trophy at this age, you must really, really be happy with yourself. Yeah, I know it wasn't easy because there was so many pressure from the club and from yeah. But I didn't put my mind on that one because I know there is so many f- trophy ahead and there is so many competition that brings trophy ahead. So I think I was just wanted to enjoy myself, play my football, and play myself out and everything. Then more responsibility about winning trophy for the club and my head started entering into winning trophy. <laughs> So, and the fans was demanding more for a team to win trophy. You know, when we were playing the Europa, nobody believed, oh, we're going to reach the finals or anything. But the moment we reached the semi-finals um, against us now, everybody, the dream now became high. Everybody said, we can do it. We have been dreaming about it, so we can do it then. We push more harder and everything there. We win Arsenal and Manchester United also at the finals. And the fans, that was incredible. You cannot imagine the city, a small city, winning an European league. So it was a fantastic moment for everyone. 
And talking about um, nice things and beautiful things, I've been to the Ceramica, um, your stadium in the Villa Ariel. I call it a village stadium because it's like in the middle of the houses. You are laughing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was your first impression when you got there? Because when I went there, I was like, ah, why are we in a village? Like, <laughs> where's the stadium? <laughs> the first time I went there, it was very boring. It was uh, crazy. I didn't play. I said, where's Villarreal? Is this the Villarreal? <laughs> I was asking, is this Europe? They say, yes, it's Europe. I said, well, it's, it's a small village, you know. It's a small village that everybody knows each other and they love football also. And, you know, when the fans and the village, they love everything about the football. They love the team. They can do anything for the team, you know. The, but when you're in the stadium, you will not hear any noise because the fans, they don't... They are not crazy like other fans, you know, but they always support, but, they are. but it's actually, when you want to play football, you want to concentrate on the football, mm. you want to play, go to the highs, I think it's that kind of place you need mm. to start from because you need to concentrate more. There's nothing like fancy place, beautiful places or anywhere to go to nightclub or anything, you understand, mm. or to go out. Just, it's just a small place. You just go get something and just focus on your football. I think it's a very nice place to start up mm. your career. And talking about, Young Africans who want to establish themselves there. We've had Eric Bailly who came in from there and went to Man United. Ike Chukuche is also highly revered there. I mean, you are in a great company because when they look at you, they see other African stars who had mid mark there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, every time. They ask me, hey. When Ike Chukuche came to Villarreal to see me, so he said, ah, someone, you need to do well. You know, I have made my name in this. I said, for well, sure, me, I need to make my own name also because every time you come to the stadium or every time they will just use Ikech Kuche to give an example to me and everything. I said, he's a very nice person. He's very humble and he's very, very intelligent. He's a very fantastic footballer. Apart from that, inside, he's very, very disciplined. And lastly, you always come sometimes, you are very spiritual. You talk about God in your life and all that. How important is faith, Christianity, to your life? It's very, very important to me because if it's not God and the grace of God, I think I will not be here and everything. I will not be, I will not be at the level I am today because I remember from under 17, I got an ankle injury, two legs, and I was using clutches. I couldn't make it, but it was, I was out for three months and well, I'm going to still call me back and maybe God touches her to call me back because in that kind of level, when they want to go to World Cup, I think they will not take that kind of risk to bring somebody that's using crutches. Even when they brought me back, I wasn't fully okay. I was still out for like another two months, but I was staying in the camp. It actually helped me. So I think God actually did a marvel because I was doing fasting and praying and everything. And my mom actually was praying for me. Aha, that brings me to your mom. There's an image of your mom praying for you before you went to camp for the um, Afghan, right? Yeah. What was your mom like? I mean, she was so, she was, she was praying in your native language and of course calling on Jesus Christ and all that, right? Yeah, she's amazing mother. Wow. I think everybody can have, always put me in prayer. Even if I don't know how to pray, but I think it's my mother's prayer that's keeping me going because sometimes, you know, footballers, we don't remember to pray sometimes, but it's anytime we have problem, we need to remember God. Wow. But my mom, my mom always pray for me every time. Even before I play any match, she used to pray for me. She used to every moment. I think it's an amazing mom that everybody can have. And I think I love you so much. I think so. <laughs> I hope I'll keep on making her proud because she worth everything. 
Well, that's Nigeria and Villarreal forward Samuel Chukwese speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashin Okaleji about his career, his family and his faith as a follower of Jesus. Uh, more on the Champions League coming up shortly with Stuart. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. Okay, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And let's start with the drama of the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals. Uh, we heard earlier from Villarreal's Samuel Chukwese as they stunned Bayern Munich. Uh, Real Madrid beat Chelsea in a pulsating tie. Uh, Liverpool threw, but uh, Man City had to work really hard to beat Atletico Madrid, Stuart. Well, Steve, I can tell you categorically that the Champions League will be won by either an English or a Spanish club with Liverpool playing Villarreal and Manchester City playing Real Madrid in the two semi-finals. But the four quarter-finals, as you say, were games of good quality and high drama. Villarreal, only seventh in the Spanish league. In the last 16, they shocked everyone by going to Italy and beating Juventus 3-0. Then in the quarter-final, we thought that a 1-0 lead would not be enough for going to Bayern Munich, but they got the draw and knocked out the German champions. Chelsea went to Real Madrid, having lost 3-1 at home, and incredibly took a 3-0 lead in Madrid, and it should have been 4-0, because VAR disallowed a Chelsea goal for handball after the referee had awarded the goal, which certainly wasn't a clear and obvious error. But then Real Madrid and that man Benzema got two late goals to win the tie. Liverpool 3-1 up on Benfica from Portugal from the first leg made heavy weather, of the second leg, drawing 3-3, but that was enough to see them through. But the Manchester City-Atletico Madrid game was, was really pulsating. City won nil up in the first leg, and they battled to a nil-nil draw to reach the semi-final. Now, Atletico Madrid under manager Diego Simone, the Argentinian, are a very effective team, but they're not an attractive one. In stoppage time, a nasty foul on Phil Foden resulted in Felipe being shown a second yellow card. And frankly, Stefan Savage was very fortunate not to get a straight red when he appeared to headbutt a City player. But the incident produced a brawl with most of the 22 players involved and resulted in 13 minutes of stoppage time as the referee sorted out what was happening. Now, rather than me giving you my opinion, let me just quote Rio Ferdinand, the former Manchester United legend. Distasteful behaviour from Atletico. They should be embarrassed by their antics had they gone on to win. But you have to say that from a football point of view, Atletico made Manchester City play in a way we have not seen for a long time, upsetting their rhythm and stride. But some of the stuff they did at the end, is not what you want to see on the football pitch. And just one sort of backstory on that. Last summer, Manchester City signed Jack Grealish from Aston Villa for $140 million. Grealish, arguably the most skillful player in England. But we've talked before about the challenges of going to a top, top club. Grealish plays for a club which is arguably the best in the world, or rather he doesn't play. Because in the first leg against Atletico, Grealish 
played 23 minutes. In the big league game against Liverpool at the weekend, he played 8 minutes. And in the second leg against Atletico, he didn't come off the bench at all. It's really hard to get a starting place at a top Premier League club. Yeah, indeed it is. A Grealish not getting much game time uh, at all. Um, so such excitement there in the Champions League. Let's go on to that game you mentioned there, Stuart, to the Man City 2-2 draw with Liverpool in the English Premier League. Uh, keeping City a point ahead, uh, both teams having seven games to play. And it was billed as a potential title decider, Stuart. And uh, I guess in the end it wasn't. Well, if you wanted to illustrate the international nature of the Premier League, Take that game. Players from 13 different countries, including Algeria, Cameroon, Egypt, Guinea, Senegal. The game did not disappoint, with Manchester City twice ahead, Liverpool twice equalising, then City thinking they've won it, and VAR ruling out Sterling's goal as offside. There was nothing to choose between the teams in the game, as there have not been all season. And of course, this was the second 2-2 draw in the two league games. That leaves us with seven games to go, Manchester City leading by one point, Liverpool's goal difference superior. So seven wins for Manchester City and the championship is theirs no matter what Liverpool do. Liverpool need City to slip up. But it's hard to say who has the more difficult fixtures on the run-in. Liverpool have to play Manchester United and Tottenham, both at Anfield, while City go to West Ham and Wolves. But Steve, in all honesty, the way those two clubs are playing and with the players they have, it would not surprise me at all if both clubs won all seven games, which of course means Manchester City would win. But don't forget that on the 15th of January, Liverpool were 14 points behind Manchester City. okay with two games in hand, but it's been an incredible run to close that gap. And you know, the dominance of those two clubs in the Premier League in the last five seasons is staggering. Since August 2018, City have gained 339 points, Liverpool 338. Chelsea are third, 72 points less than Manchester City. Amazing the the way they've dominated it. Now, we've commented before about how Pep Guardiola often sets up his teams without an out-and-out striker. Well, on Sunday, he picked Gabriel Jesus, but played him on the right wing, leaving out Riyad Mahrez. Jesus scored, and then Mahrez, a second-half substitute, missed a great chance to win the game for City. He chipped the goalkeeper, but also chipped over the bar. Now, Jesus won't thank me for mentioning this, but... This goal that he scored was after having 37 attempts in goal, which he didn't score with. But who needs an out-and-out striker when you've got Kevin De Bruyne, who scored City's first goal in the fifth minute, and that's the third consecutive game in which he's got an early goal for City. What a valuable player he is. But what we really need, Steve, is a chance to see Liverpool playing Manchester City again. Oh, of course, they're playing each other again on Saturday in the FA Cup semi-final and they could be meeting in the Champions League final as well. We haven't seen the last of this rivalry. (laughs) Well, looking forward to that game, yeah. And uh, what about Manchester United, Stuart? Uh, Losing 1-0 to Everton last weekend. Already uh, they were out of the Champions League. Uh, Do we call this another crisis at the club? 
Well, they just seem to be going from bad to worse. I mean, losing to Everton, who had themselves conceded three goals in midweek at Burnley, I mean, that left United with one win in seven league games. But it wasn't just the result. It was the completely lacklustre performance that annoyed fans and the club. Goalkeeper David De Gea said the performance was a disgrace. We should be winning that game. We were not good enough. Everton had more desire than us, and that is not acceptable. Strong words there from De Gea, and I think most United fans would agree with him. And we've had Van Hal, Mourinho, Solskjaer, Ranić, but the team seems to be getting worse. And in terms of win percentage, I'm afraid Ranić has had less wins than any of his predecessors. And after the game, Ranić said that he agreed with De Gea's criticisms, said... If you don't score against a team which conceded three goals at Burnley, it's difficult to explain why. To qualify for Europe, you need to score, and we played 95 minutes and didn't score. Another who's not holding back its criticisms. And you know, Saturday was Marcus Rashford's 200th game for Manchester United in the Premier League. At 24, he's the youngest player to play 200 games. But he's a good example of the problem because he currently looks nothing like the player he was a few years ago. So Manchester United are now seventh, six points behind Tottenham who are fourth, leaving Manchester United, frankly, with little chance of qualifying for the Champions League. Just look at the wins they've had this season. 14 wins in 31 games. Compare that to Manchester City's 23 wins in 31. United just don't look as if they deserve a place in the Champions League. There are strong rumours that they're about to appoint the Ajax Amsterdam manager, Eric Ten Hag, sometime perhaps before the end of the season. But even if Ten Hag comes in and does a brilliant job, I think it's going to take him two or three seasons to turn round a club which has lost its way and seems to have a squad of inadequate and unmotivated players, many of whom he'll want to replace. Yeah, well, I'll ask you for your thoughts on this on social media this week. Uh, what do you think is the solution for Manchester United? Uh, that defeat last weekend worsened the situation. As Stuart says, there's little chance of a top four finish. They're out of the Champions League, and it seems like Ronaldo and Ralph Ranić have not helped with uh, turning around the club's fortunes. And uh, as Stuart said again, Eric Ten Hag is set to take over as manager. So what do you think the solution is? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What's the solution for Manchester United? Uh, let's talk Chelsea now as they came back from two defeats in a row to win 6-0 away to Southampton last weekend and then that uh, epic game against Real Madrid. Uh, but uh, Stuart, is the ownership situation possibly affecting the club? Well, you would have said that when they lost the two home games uh, in a week, you know, Real Madrid and then 4-1 home to Brentford. But then they go to Southampton and win 6-0. So it looks as if uh, the answer may be no, but who knows. And Timo Werner scored his first goal in the league for Chelsea for 189 days. In fact, not only did he score two goals, but he hit both posts and the bar. 
<laughs> As someone said afterwards, if you get to take the match ball home if you score a hat-trick, does this mean that Werner can take the goal home? Problem is, where would he put it? Uh, I mean, Southampton losing 6-0 at home is strange, but it wasn't their biggest defeat. Because, uh, remember, in 2019, Leicester City beat them 9-0 at home. Now, Arsenal followed a 3-1 defeat at Crystal Palace with a 2-1 home defeat by Brighton. And the Seagulls' man of the match was their Zambian midfield player, Enoch Mwepu, uh, who made the first goal and scored the second. And the significance of that defeat was compounded when Tottenham beat Aston Villa 4-0. Remarkably, Steve, that was the seventh time in a row that Spurs have gone to Aston Villa in the league and won. And Steve, I know you're going to love this, but Son scored three goals for Tottenham. That was his third hat-trick for Spurs. And his first one came in the third minute. And his full name? Son Hyung Min. Three words. And Brian Bueno from Brentford scored against West Ham. And this season, he'd already scored against West Ham, Wolves and Watford. Do you think he likes teams beginning with W? Uh, well, I think he probably does. That's a Brentford's a Brian and Beumo, who's of a Cameroonian descent. Looking forward to those FA Cup semi-finals. So Man City, Liverpool on Saturday, Chelsea, Crystal Palace on Sunday. Oh, and by the way, in case you were listening out for the final part of our interview with the former Ghana and Bayern Munich defender Sami Kufour, we'll have that on the show next week. That's it for the programme for this week, though. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.